Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hello, my friend. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. Uh, This is a bit of a weird one for me, not because of the content, but because of the time of day that I'm doing this. I am, for the first time, I'm recording a podcast at night. It's still sunny out, but the clock is definitely in the evening. And um, we here in California are on the precipice of what will be our first power shutdown for fire prevention safety. So we don't know, we won't know until midnight um, or after midnight if the power is going to be out for one or two or more days. So I was thinking about the podcast the other day on hoping and wishing, I guess it was more than a day, but a few podcasts ago, and how futile it would be for me to wish that the power wasn't going to go out because I have zero control over that. And I'm feeling pretty good that um, I've done pretty much everything on the list they suggested that we do. And... um, I am sort of hoping, but it will be what it'll be, that my gas stove is working so I can boil water and have my coveted coffee and tea. Um, I even got uh, coffee bags, instant coffee from Starbucks today. I was thinking, and I went and bought an extra power booster, uh, backup chargers. So um, we're ready, and I am ready to do the podcast. So thankfully, my brain is still working, even though it's evening, and um, my dog is not bugging me too much for the walk that he hopes he will get. And he's right. He's going to get it. So let's talk about people pleasers, how not to be helpful. People pleasing is not good for you, and it's not good for them. So this came from an observation that I had in one of my workshops when I had people do the life satisfaction assessment. And you can take this too. Um, If you go to worklifebrilliance.com, that's work-lifebrilliance.com, in my Upgrade Your Thoughts, Upgrade Your Life class, um, it is one of the bonus features, the life satisfaction. Or you can just scratch it out on paper, as I've described in the past. But this is something that I help people tap into their subconscious. and see where they are right now in terms of their satisfaction with something highly valuable in their life. And we measure all sorts of things. Health, sleep, finances, career, relationships. Um, And one of them is service to others. Helpfulness. And normally, when people do the life satisfaction, they have lower satisfaction than value on every item. You can imagine. So somebody might really value their health, but they are not very satisfied with where they are right now in their health. So that's what I see. But there is one element on the x-axis, which is service to others, where it sometimes gets flipped. And somebody is oversatisfied with the amount of help that they are putting out in the world. 
and they don't really value it as much as they are giving to it. So one woman flagged me down in the class and she says, what do you make of this? And I said, hmm, I did not call her a people pleaser. But I said, I think you can back off on the giving and start putting more of that energy into you. And she had fear in her eyes and she said, I just don't want to become one of those people. Now, I'm assuming she might have been thinking about somebody in her life that she went and did a 180 from, somebody selfish. Um, but I was my smart-ass self, and I said, you mean one of those people who takes care of themselves so they have capacity to even think about helping other people? She said, oh, yeah, okay. So she was going to need a new story about what it meant to be helpful and what it meant to be helpful to yourself. So there are many different ways we can serve in the world, I suppose. One is we can help because we are afraid that we are enough. We are not enough, sorry. We can offer help because we are afraid that if we don't, we won't be accepted. We won't be loved. We won't be liked. But then we are delegating our self-worth to others. This I call inauthentic giving, or we can just call it people-pleasing. And what I hope people will come to realize is we don't need others to validate our worth. In fact, no one other person can validate your worth. You have potentially bought into the lie that you aren't good enough and deserving of enough love. And maybe you had someone in your life, a mother or a father, who reinforced this story. That had nothing to do with you and everything to do about them and a fault in their thinking. If you haven't lived, if this, if you have lived this and this resonates with you and you have not listened to the podcast about healing past pain, please go and do that after listening to this one. Or you can also listen to the Take Nothing Personally podcast. Uh, some people grew up with parents who unfortunately were narcissists or maybe borderline personality, and they put other people down to make themselves feel better. If that happened to you, um, that is a very difficult thing to endure, and I would love for you to be free of that. It is hard not to believe the story when you are an impressionable, impressionable child, but as an adult, you get to reinterpret that past. And I believe in this foundational truth, and I hope you will too, and that is that the only person whose love really matters is yours. You can decide to love yourself as of now, regardless of whom you help. You can decide that you are a miracle, just like every other life on the planet, and that you deserve love and your own help because you exist. So your lovability is not dependent on how much you help others. It is based on you being here. So whether or not they have capacity to love is their issue, not whether or not you are giving them help. So how would you treat yourself if you loved yourself wholeheartedly from a place of knowing that you are enough just as you are and that you can grow better every day? you would probably help yourself as much as you help others. So here are ways that you can tell you are a people pleaser 
Maybe just from what I've said already, you already identify. Oh yeah, that is me. But let's just play with this. So one way you can tell you're a people pleaser is that you pretend to agree with everyone. Regardless of whether you really do agree, you find yourself nodding or going, oh yeah, good point. Now listening politely to people's opinions is an awesome life skill. Especially when you disagree. Listening. With compassion, with curiosity, it's not done enough. But pretending to agree is a problem. The master skill great influencers have who can build relationship and influence people to think differently and act in their best interest is to be able to disagree without being disagreeable. So this is something that we can all benefit from practicing, but especially people pleasers. Second reason you can tell you are a people pleaser is that you feel responsible for how other people feel. And you want to do something to fix them. How other people feel is completely outside your span of control. Now, of course, you can influence it. It is healthy to recognize how your behavior influences others. Like if you're driving and you honk the horn and lay on the horn at somebody or you flip the bird at somebody, that is likely going to influence them to feel a certain way, a certain stress. Um, But you never know. Somebody might think that's hilarious or feel sorry for you. Oh, you must be having such a bad day. You must be so confused because I'm an awesome driver. We don't know what they're going to feel, and it's not caused by us. So thinking you have the power to make someone happy is the problem. It is up to them and all of us to be in charge of our own emotions. You can't fix others with help, and no one really wants to be fixed. So number three, you apologize often for things that you did not do wrong. So for many of us, this is a habit. And frequent apologies can be seen as a lack of confidence. And they can come from a lack of confidence, or they can just come as a habit. But they are sometimes then perceived as a lack of confidence And perhaps people will respect you less. You do not have to say sorry for being you. Please take up space and save your apologies for when you really do something wrong. That is another master skill, somebody who can authentically apologize for the peace that they fully own. Fourth reason you can tell you are a people pleaser is that your calendar is full of other people's activities. You are in charge of how you spend your time. Now granted, many of us are parents or have ailing parents, and we have taken up, I say taken up, responsibility, because in theory, you don't have to do it. I don't have to take my kid to school. I don't have to feed her. She could fend for herself. She could figure it out, I suppose. Uh, But I have decided that that is something that I want to be responsible for. But when you start to be responsible for other activities that you don't really need to be responsible for, then you fill up your calendar to the point that you have no room for yourself. Which brings me to number five, that you say yes even when you don't want to. You're never going to reach your goals or fulfill your potential if you can't speak up for yourself 
and say yes to yourself, your own self-care and your own priorities. And saying yes and then canceling later with a good excuse does not do your reputation or results any good. And for more on how to say no with grace, not guilt, you can listen to the two-part podcast or you can take the course online at worklifebrilliance.com. The sixth way you can tell your people pleaser is you will do anything to avoid someone being angry with you. So I know I am victim of this. I do not like people being angry with me, but it's going to happen. And just because someone is mad doesn't necessarily mean you did anything wrong. So check in. Did you do something wrong? Apologize. Did you not? Let it go. Again, you're not responsible for their emotion. And you don't want to compromise your values. If you are congruent with your values and they have different values, they're going to be angry. Not fun, but it happens. Let them have it. Let them have their anger. You don't have to take the bait. You don't have to take it personally. A seventh way you can tell your people pleaser is when you bend your values to fit in with the crowd. So maybe you don't eat a certain kind of food because of your religion or because of a strict diet or health needs or whatever, and then you don't want to be singled out, so you go with the crowd. You eat what they want to eat, you say what they want to say, you drink what they want to drink, maybe you swear more, maybe you don't swear. Now, it's okay to have different aspects of your personality come out with different people, right? That's just because we are complex people and we are appropriate for the situation. That's called, you know, being a responsible grown-up and socially uh, normal. (laughs) So this is just about avoiding compromising yourself and your goals to fit in and please others. And the last one, I'm sure there are many more, but the last one I want to talk about is you offer help because you want validation that you are a good person. So praise and words can make any of us feel good. Kind words can make us feel good. But people pleasers depend on validation. So if your self-worth rests entirely on what others think about you, you are only going to feel good when others shower you with compliments. Shower yourself with compliments. So I call people pleasing inauthentic because when you offer help that you don't truly want to give, you are being untruthful. You are lying. When you say yes, but you feeling no, you're lying. And this chips away at your soul. And it can affect your health. And you can build up resentment. You might end up exercising less, sleeping less, eating more. How is that helpful to you or anyone else? So I had this amazing woman in one of my group coaching cohorts. And she complained that she was not productive, and that is what she wanted to work on. And she said as soon as she got to the office, people were at her door with questions, and then she had to go into meetings, and she never got her own work done, and she would work on things late into the night and then have to sleep in because she was so tired, and she wasn't very productive working at night. But guess what? Productivity was not the root problem. Work ethic was not the work the root problem. I mean, for heaven's sakes, this woman served in the military. She had work ethic. The problem was her saying yes out loud when she was screaming no inside. She had also built dependency 
in her direct reports. As a manager, her belief was she couldn't say no to anybody asking for help. But what is help as a manager? She had defined it as solving people's problems, giving advice, helping anytime they needed it. Well, the repercussion of that was she was distracted with her family when she got home. She was resentful at work, but all with a smile. She was staying up late, inefficient, slept in, hit snooze, didn't get to work until nine or later, and other people had already been there, and they were ready to ask questions. She realized her limiting belief was, I can't say no to my employees. So she shifted her belief about what it meant to be a truly good manager. And then she shifted her schedule and her habits to make her schedule work better for her. And she even asked for help at home. And her husband and kids were happy to give it to her, especially when they saw how much it made a difference in her life and their life. So she started going to bed earlier, getting up earlier. She asked her husband to take two of their three kids to school. She took the eldest, and they had really good quality time in the car, had great conversation. She got to work before everyone else, and she created office hours, times when she would be heads down, in her office, closed door, working on her stuff. She also told her team that she was going to be working on listening and coaching more than solving problems so they could be more independent. So in that way, she primed them so they didn't think something was terribly wrong with her because they were used to her always being there. So just within two months of her making those changes, she went from resentful to just happy and proud. She went from weak to powerful, pushover to influential. She went from a manager who people depended on to solve their problems to one who actually grew and empowered people. So true confidence is what she exuded, and this is the kind that comes from within, and it's based on self-respect, self-knowing, and it is independent of helping others or what other people think. This kind of authentic confidence is a gift to other people because no one wants to be responsible for your self-worth or your ego needs. It is too much work. We want to know you can take care of yourself. You can stand on your own. If you mean no, I want you to tell me no. That is a gift to me. It is so hard to do that we work on this in the academy. It's the talk that I get asked to come in to do more often than not, and um, it's why we put it in a program on the website. Just uh, a few weeks ago, a client told me he was canceling our meeting to play golf with a dear friend because it was his birthday. And I was so proud of him for declining our coaching call, which he was always on time for and always so grateful for. And um, guess what? I was able to do a lot with that hour, and I know he was taking care of himself. I don't like accepting help when I sense it's from people-pleasing, but I love accepting help from authentic helpers because, whew, I can use a lot of help. So sometimes I walk into a workshop and somebody runs up to me, not run, but they approach me very directly and say, what help do you need? Wow. Um, I, I do need help. Thank you. <laughs> Have you ever set up this AV in this room before? Because it's my first time. So that kind of help, they are proud to give it because they know they have uh, skills and services they can offer, 
Um, they know it's going to have an impact, not just on me, but on the people who are going to get to start on time. And it feels good to them to share their gifts and make an impact. So that is authentic help. One of my good friends and colleagues, Hannah, is a two on the Enneagram, and that is the considerate helper. Now, a lot of people, when they find out they are the two personality type, think, oh, they don't like it because they think it's weak. And I love the way Hannah describes it. She actually thinks it's a very powerful type, and it is, and she exemplifies this. Because the best influencers in her mind, and I think in mine as well, are the helpful personalities that are confident. Because they can influence you to do something that's in your best interest because they are so passionate about helping you. And they have knowledge. And they have something of value. And you know when somebody's trying to sell you something of value versus when somebody's trying to sell you snake oil. Now, if a two has snake oil, they are not going to try and sell it to you. <laughs> Unless you happen to be in the market for snake oil. Um, the two is going to be a very genuine helper. And if they can't influence you to do something because they have nothing to offer, they're at least going to have a really warm, friendly conversation with you. Authentic helper, helpers realize that the principle of reciprocity applies. Because in our non-conscious, when we accept help from somebody, we are going to feel more likely to help them and offer them help. So for the considerate helper, it's like, hey, I'm going to help you. And then I'm going to feel better asking you for help one day. That's reciprocity. And it's a natural occurring effect in social dynamics and in the brain. I help you, you help me. Marketers know this. Helpers know this. So let's say you have identified some people-pleasing aspects in your personality. How do you escape that and become an authentic helper who helps when it's useful and when they have capacity to do it? and says no when they have nothing to offer. So first you have to examine your beliefs. Where does this need to please come from? It's likely it protected you at some point. So honor your brain trying to keep you safe. Don't get mad at yourself. This was a very important skill that you learned. And social pain is a real thing. It affects the part of our brain called the DAC, dorsal anterior cingulate circuit. And that's the same part of our brain that feels physical pain. So it's only natural that we would try and fit in, and offering help is a way to do that. You can reprogram your brain to be less sensitive and to feel less social pain. So one thing I haven't talked about that I think is so important when it comes to how we develop these beliefs is non-conscious bias. It is real. Everybody's brain has it. Yours, mine, we all have non-conscious bias, and that is when we judge something um, and don't even realize we're judging it, or when we judge something for no other reason than it's different. So women feel this more than men in the workplace, and minority women feel this even more so, this non-conscious bias. And looking historically, women are still fairly new to the workplace, and views on women, while they have changed a lot and have improved a lot, are still affected by non-conscious social programming. If you think about our generation, you know, and the shows we watched when we were kids, um, women hardly ever worked. I mean, there was Mary, Mary Tyler Moore, um, but Laverne and Shirley, but a lot of the women we saw, we were programmed 
to see as non-working mothers. And so we have this programming. And one of the reasons we apologize all the time is because of our own non-conscious bias and trying to fit in and trying not to be too big. And there's a great book by um, Matthew Kohut and John Neffinger called Compelling People. And they say that true influencers have this balance of strength and warmth. And I love Kohut. He's so honest when he says there is a double standard for women who are judged more harshly on both being too strong, being too warm, being too soft, being not strong enough, it's hard to get the balance right. And then minority women have it even harder. They can get completely looked over or misinterpreted. So either, and then they have to course correct. And how do you course correct from that? Do you become hard ass? Do you become uh, too soft? So this is such a difficult issue to navigate. I suggest you get a coach or a really honest buddy at work who can read social reactions well and help you navigate, help you plan how you're going to make the best impression, bringing as much of you, authentic you, as you can so you can earn the respect you deserve. It's not going to happen overnight. but You can help people create new impressions one interaction at a time with the help of a colleague who isn't bogged down with being uh, misperceived all the time. And one of the ways we refer to that is white privilege. So I love helping people navigate this because I can be a non-impartial person watching and seeing how people and listening and seeing how people are being perceived and helping people make course corrections authentically. So when you find that this belief that you've inherited that has helped you in many ways and is now hindering you and keeping you from being authentic with regard to helping, put it through the STEER model. Ask yourself, what do you have to gain by changing this belief that you have to please others? What do you feel when you think about saying what you really think or taking care of you? What do you want to feel instead of that? And what would you need to believe in order to feel that way? It might be, the greatest gift I can give is to be true to myself. Or, back to the old oxygen mask on the airplane, if I attend to myself, I will have greater capacity to give others. Maybe it's if people don't like the real me, why would they want to be around me anyways? What other people think of me is none of my business. Take those or anyone that comes up for you that's real. And then ask yourself, how will I act in accordance with this new belief? that I don't have to help others to have self-worth. And then take a baby step. So maybe in the next meeting, you're going to state an alternate opinion. Maybe you're going to eliminate a weak phrase or record yourself in a meeting before you decide what weak phrase do you say that you're going to eliminate from your vocabulary. Maybe you're going to say, something, say no to something really small and you're not going to apologize. And maybe you're just going to inject some humor and lightness into your next decline. So let's say in your next meeting, you're asked to take the minutes because you've been asked to take the minutes every week and they just assume that you're now the minute taker. Maybe you'll say, hey, thank you. But I'm going to let someone else have the honor of taking the minutes today so I can focus more on contributing to the conversation. How about we rotate the task? 
And then you might throw a little levity in. Hey, Jim, I nominate you. And then see what Jim does. And then really do contribute a genuine thought to the conversation versus just nodding your head in agreement. So if you think you live or work with or are friends with a people pleaser, try this. Try asking them, what do you really think? I would really value your honest opinion, especially if it's different from mine because I need a new way of looking at this. Let them know it would be helpful for you to have a different opinion. Or decline their help. And then ask what they would do with the extra time to spend on themselves and encourage them to do it. Tell them they deserve it and you would love for them to go do something good for themselves. That you are good. You can take care of it, but you appreciate it. And when you give, do it from a place of authentic confidence and choice. Be in service versus needy. And when you don't want to give, remember, a no uttered from the deepest conviction is better than a yes merely uttered to please, or worse, to avoid trouble. I didn't come up with that. That was Gandhi. You going to debate Gandhi? I don't think so. So a no uttered from the deepest conviction is better than a yes merely uttered to please, or worse, to avoid trouble. So in my... Um, bonus video and content, how to say no with grace, not guilt. And in the podcast, I actually teach you how to decline requests without saying no, because that word is a trigger for so many of us. So I hope this has given you some, I know I'm ending with the word hope, but I really do <laughs> hope this has been valuable to you. Um, you can let me know at deniseatbrilliancing.com. And um, if you want more, listen to the other podcasts or go to work-lifebrilliance.com and take a look at our programs there. And um, thank you. My dog has been here, not offering help, but silently begging for me to go take him for a walk. So I'm going to go help us both and get out there in the fresh air. All right. I hope you do something nice for yourself, my friend. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Work Life Brilliance. If you want to be coached by Denise, join her in the Work Life Brilliance Academy where wholehearted humans are becoming the best version of themselves. Accepting applications now at wlbacademy.com.